Dave Ramsey quotes and says this, we live like no one else, so later we can live like no one else. The idea that as a follower of Christ, as someone who is made alive in Christ, we live like nobody else so that we can live later on like no one else. We live differently. We are changed people in Christ and who we are in Christ. We have been made alive and we have been made free. And because of that, we are able to live in a way that nobody else does so that we can live later on uh, in eternity like no one else does. And so to be made alive, one of the things that kind of comes to mind in talking about this is uh, how people, just all of us, we do generally some, uh, some dumb stuff to say that, man, I just feel alive when I do that. Or, you know, man, I just feel so alive when I, when I you know, Whatever, whatever it is that you do. And, you know, maybe it's something extreme in like an extreme sport or maybe it's uh, something like an activity or an action or the way that you, you know, maybe party with family and with friends. But we do stuff and we think that, man, this just makes me feel alive. You know, for me, uh, when I was in college, I had uh, a couple of different times I did some, uh, some kind of extreme sports, nothing like too crazy. Uh, but one of the things, that we, I went snowboarding when I was in college and went to Colorado and snowboarded. And uh, if you've never been snowboarding, it is, it is great. It is an adrenaline rush. Uh, you truly, you know, feel alive when you do it. Uh, but if you end up on a black diamond and you are a new snowboarder, let me just tell you, take the snowboard off, walk down the hill. Uh, because cartwheels is not the way to go down a, a black diamond mountain in Colorado with your snowboard strapped on. Uh, but another thing that I did was I was able to go uh, whitewater rafting a few times when I was in college and loved it. If you've never been, it is an awesome thing to do. Uh, but coming from St. Louis, we drove across uh, several hours to West Virginia to the Gully River. And the Gully River is one of the top 10 rivers in the world for whitewater rafting. It's, uh, it's truly an amazing uh, thing to be able to see and just how rough it is. And it goes from calm to rough areas so quickly. And uh, it's a very dangerous river though. Uh, in fact, they average deaths, multiple deaths per year kind of a thing uh, for the time that they have it open. Um, but it's truly dangerous, but it also, it's one of those things where you get that adrenaline rush, that moment, and you feel like, man, I just, I just feel alive. And for me, uh, you know, sitting in that raft, and, you know, and, and ideally, when you are in a raft, you want it to stay this way, you know, flat, level, you know, and, but in whitewater rafting, it doesn't do that. It doesn't do that very often. Uh, and you end up going over a cliff, a cliff into some more water and you end up straight down or you end up at an angle or the front ends up this way and you end up this way. And there's all these different things uh, of whitewater rafting, but man, it's so exciting, but it is so dangerous as well. But we have a lot of things in our life that we do because we think they make us feel alive. That we get this adrenaline rush or this push and we think, man, I love doing it just because it, it gets me just you know, pumped up. It gets me ready to go. And we do these things, but yet they may be so dangerous and such a risk. But the thing is, we all will experience life in different ways, but we can never be truly made alive without Christ. And that's what I want us to be able to kind of talk and, and, and look through uh, this week and, and next week as we share as well. That we are made alive in Christ and who he is. And we have a freedom that is found in when we have a relationship with him. So today I want to share with you first out of 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. And it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This passage of scripture, I want us to be able to pull out uh, four different truths today, this morning, uh, as we look at it. And the first one I have for you is this, that we are alive, we know we are alive, uh, when we have living hope. When we have living hope, we are alive. Dead people have no hope. You see, when we come into this world, every one of us, we come into this world as a sinner. We are dead in our sin. We are separated from God for all eternity. We are dead in that sin. And we have no hope, except when we encounter Jesus Christ. We turn our life over to him. We have a relationship that begins with him. And all of a sudden, we have now become alive in Christ, and we have hope. We have a living hope, but all of us are dead without Christ. With Christ, we are alive. You see, this life that we have, this, 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 these short amount of years, or how many years we have on this earth, can be filled with life, but they can also be filled with death. And the fact that we are dead in our sin, but we can be alive in Christ when we turn our life over to him. For those of us that are here today that do not have this relationship with Christ, we have never placed our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This life is as good as it gets. It only gets worse when we leave this earth. You see, but for those that have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have placed your faith and trust in him as your Lord and Savior. This is as bad as it gets. That there's something greater, something uh, more, uh, more hopeful. There's something more perfect, something greater that we are striving after, that we can attain by placing our faith and trust in Jesus. And that it only gets better when we leave this earth. You see, that's a living hope. To live a life, an earthly life with a hope and knowing that, man, there is a place much better than this that we are going to be able to be in. We should have joy from that. We should have satisfaction. We should be uh, very excited about that opportunity because Christ enters our life and we're made alive and we're made hopeful. In 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 21 to 22, it says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. What we're seeing here is that in Adam, all die. You remember the story, Genesis. uh, We have Adam and Eve, these two perfect people God has created. He says, here's this entire garden. You can do anything you want. You can eat and drink of anything that you would like, except one thing. Do not eat of this fruit off of this tree. So the serpent comes and confronts and tempts Adam and Eve. And they give in and they eat of that fruit. And when they eat of that fruit, instantaneously sin enters the world, enters our world, enters our genealogy, because from Adam and Eve, the sin didn't just stop with Adam and Eve, but the sin was inherited through every generation since, all the way to us and all the generations to come. So in Adam, everyone dies, because sin separates us from God and it brings eternal death. But in Christ, all shall live. So in one man, everyone dies, but in Christ, we can have life. We can be made alive, a living hope, this earthly hope with uh, this earthly life with a hope and an eternal life. Because we are alive in Christ, we are free from our sin. So being alive and free go together because we are alive in Christ. We are free from sin. We are free to live in the way that God would want us to live. And that when we mess up and we make a mistake, we are still covered by the grace of God. You see, there's a movie, a, a story that, that came out, uh, the story's been out for a while, but the movie that came out just a few months ago called Unbroken, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, great movie about a, a man by the name of Louis Zamperini, and Louis Zamperini was a bombardier in, the, uh, in a plane in World War II, 
And this man uh, who was in this plane as the bombardier, his plane uh, was shot at in several times. And there were several times that it should have gone down, but it never did. And then ultimately, there was one time where the plane was shot down and it crashed. And only three people survived, Louis and two other men. And when they survived, uh, they lived, uh, they, they stayed in a, uh, they had a, a raft that they were in for 47 days in what sometimes shark-infested waters. They lost one of those three men, died in this. While they, uh, they scaled, they traversed across 2,000 plus miles of the Pacific until a Japanese ship found them and brought them in. When it brought him in, they put him into a Japanese prison camp where Louis was tortured for over two years, where he was beaten, he was starved, he was tested and tried. And he was tested and tried, but all the time he made it through. And the reason that he made it through, he said, is because he had hope. He had hope that one day he was going to be saved, that one day that he was going to be pulled out of that camp, that one day when he was in the water that they were going to be saved out of the water. He had hope. He was quoted as saying this, As long as I have life, I have hope. He says he just kept telling himself that. As long as I have life, I have hope. As long as I am alive, I am hopeful. You see, for us here today, right now, as long as we are alive in Christ, we are hopeful. As long as we have life that is founded in who Jesus is, we are hopeful. Now, some of us would sit here and say, you know, I understand that. I get that. But it's very hard. It's very difficult to be hopeful when I'm facing the things that I'm facing. When I'm being tested and tried, when I'm going through struggles of things that I'm facing right now, how can my marriage be in shambles and my wife and I or my husband and I be at each other's throats and how can we still be hopeful? My family situation is just messed up. My job situation, my job status, right now I'm getting ready to lose my job. I've just lost my job. How can I be going through that and still remain hopeful? Well, the reason you can remain hopeful is because there's an eternal life with Christ Jesus that's coming. You see, our, our circumstances, our, our, our life situations are things that we are tested in, that we are tried in. And if you have a, a hope in eternal life, you have faith in your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this is as bad as it gets. You should be excited about that. You should be uh, joyful. You should be happy about the fact, man, this is as bad as it's going to get because there is something greater still yet to come. So how can someone still have hope, even though they're facing all these things. Number two, uh, we are alive when we rejoice in the testing of our faith. I understand this is very difficult, very hard to do, uh, to be able to rejoice uh, when we are being tested, when we're going through problems and marriage struggles and job situations and just life uh, things that come up. But to have joy that isn't found in our circumstances, but to have joy that is found in God's goodness, to have joy that is found in God's character of who he is, and what he's done for you. To realize that our joy doesn't, isn't, shouldn't be found in, in the tough things that we, we go through. Our joy also shouldn't be found in the happy things that we go through. Our joy should be found in the one thing that is solid, perfect, and unchanging, and that's who God is. The trials that we face are a pathway to maturity, and they also uh, reveal to us our, our need or make us aware of our need for God. They're a pathway to maturity in the fact that when you are tested and you are tried, you can climb on the back onto the shoulders of the biggest God that there is, the one true and living God. You can climb on his shoulders and allow him to navigate your struggles, allow him to navigate your trials, to be able to push you and to be able to pull you through and to get you through those things. And each time you come through, it strengthens you. It allows you to become more mature. 
You see, not only is it a pathway to maturity, but it also brings our awareness, it makes us aware of our need for God. That sometimes, man, we, we may not realize how much we need God until we are in a serious trial, serious struggle, do we? We may not understand, like, how, you know, how I need to, you know, I've got this relationship with God maybe even, but I don't, I don't, I don't rely on him enough. And it's when we are in facing a serious situation that we begin to start to look, begin to start to change. Some of us, you know, we may have an, an opportunity for those of you that are in here that um, you don't have a relationship with Christ. You wouldn't consider yourself a, a Christian or a Christ follower. And there may be times in your life where you get into something so deep that you don't seem like you can get out of it. And you begin to look and you to think, well, maybe there's something to this God. You see, when we're in times of struggle is when we seem to, to feel like we need God more. And that's where our times of trial and testing actually mature us and actually make us aware of our need for God. But blessed are those who endure trials, Scripture says. Enduring trials results in steadfastness, meaning spiritual maturity is what steadfastness is. That we can mature, that we can grow, that we can increase in our knowledge and understanding of God the more we face trials because we begin to understand how God works, how he navigates in our life. He begins to navigate in a way and begin to mold us and shape us. It's, uh, it's as if he's a surgeon, you know, kind of dissecting us from the inside out. And he begins with our heart and begins to work out from there. And when he starts with your heart and he begins to look at the things that we feel are important or the temptations and the sins that we struggle with and that we get into, and he begins to pluck away, he begins to cut away like a, like a skilled surgeon as he would cut those things out. And he begins to change those by removing them, but then by adding something in its place. To begin to say, you have, uh, maybe you have a temptation or a, a struggle uh, of getting together with family and friends or, or coworkers or whoever, or uh, just, just buddies around or whatever, and, and to getting into some, maybe something that you shouldn't be doing. Maybe it's a substance abuse, maybe it's something illegal, whatever it is. And you begin to get involved in those things. You, well, I do it because of the, the, the friendship. I do it because of the, the, the fellowship with, with these people. And God may look at you and say, okay, I'm going I'm to begin to work on that. And he's going to begin to maybe cut that out of your desire as you've turned your life over to him and he matures you. He might remove that and then replace it with maybe a need or a desire and placed on you to be able to come into a room like this and to fellowship, to study God's word, to be able to learn and to grow and to increase in your maturity spiritually so that you can be made alive in who he is. And what I mean that he begins to, to cut and he begins to mold you and he begins to shape you, he begins to change who you are, what you look like. Now, I'm not talking like Bruce Jenner type look like, okay? Like, is that, is that too soon? Is that too soon? It might be. It might be too soon. All right. Like, I'm not talking like changing what you look like physically. I'm talking about changing what you look like spiritually, completely taking you and turning you from the inside out. You see, Scripture, the, God's Word is considered, you may have heard the term that it's called a sword. The fact that you can get, you know, a sword can, can penetrate into your heart and begin to change you and mess you up and begin to, to cut and to mold and to shape you into what God wants you to be. You see, we have a, a life, we have a desire and a passion of what we think we need to do, of what, how, how myself, how I can get through and navigate these things. And God's like, man, you're, you're doing it the wrong way. Trust in me. Trust in who I am. Allow me to do that. I am perfect and you are sinful. But we struggle to do that, don't we? We struggle to rejoice in the testing of our faith. But the reason that we do that is because we are tempted by our own desires. We lure ourselves into sins constantly, don't we? Our own sinful desires, our own worldly, fleshly things, we begin to, to lure ourselves in, to lead ourselves into something sinful when we know that God wouldn't approve. We begin to navigate ourselves away from God. And God's the whole time trying to mold and shape us. The meanwhile, we're trying to take that shape into another direction. God's like, man... Either let me do it or don't. 
You see, some of us have to make a decision, maybe today, where we say, do I want to allow God to mold me and shape me into what he wants me to be, to allow him uh, to be the one that is the Lord and the Savior of my life, or do I want to continue being the Lord and Savior of my own life? The thing is, is that we are incapable of not sinning. There's not a person in here that is capable of saying, you know, I'm just not going to sin anymore. We can't do that. It's not going to happen. Because faith in ourself fails all the time. Because we're sinful. We're imperfect people. But life without trials would be robotic. It would be lifeless. If you can imagine like, well, you know, why do I have to face this guy? Why am I going through this? Why am I the one that's experiencing this? And we don't understand well, if you weren't facing any trials, if everything was perfect, life would be robotic, it would be lifeless. To truly be alive is to be alive and to be imperfect. To be alive and to be broken. But to be alive in Christ and allow him to mold you and shape you into what he wants you to be. You see, so many of us would sit here and maybe right now you're one just thinking, but man, you don't, you don't know the stuff that I've done. You know the sins that I've been a part of, the things that I've gotten into. You don't know what I'm going through right now or what I'm planning to do. And you're right, I don't. But I know that God does, and I know that he knows exactly what he paid for when he sent his son Jesus Christ down the cross for you. He knew exactly what sins that you were going to be in your life. He knew exactly what temptations you were going to face, and he still paid for them with the death of his one and only son. He isn't changing his mind about you. He's not going to change and be like, oh, well, you did that. I'm sorry, now I'm going to, I'm going to withdraw the offer. No, the offer's out there for salvation in Christ alone. The question is, are you going to accept the offer? James 1, 2-4, which may be a familiar passage of scripture for, uh, for most, uh, says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Joy in our trials... Testing leading to steadfastness, which again is spiritual maturity. Testing leading to steadfastness, which then leads to perfection, completeness, righteousness, holiness. You see, God uses our trials to begin to to make us more mature, but then to also make us even more aware of our need for him and that we live this life of trials where we're facing these things and we're relying on God to ultimately when we leave this earth and we stand before him and he invites us into his kingdom and we are perfect. We are holy. We are righteous in the eyes of God. The idea from this is that we have a lifestyle right here on this earth, that we have a living hope in eternity in heaven, and we can rejoice in those trials, but how do we do this? Number three, we are alive when we love him who we cannot see. We know we are alive when we love him who we cannot see. God shows his love for us by sending Jesus to die on the cross. He didn't come to condemn us, but he came to save us. You see, Jesus didn't come and say like, man, you all, you've, you've sinned, you know, you're, you're, you're set for hell, that's your, that's your destination, hope you can make it. He didn't say that. He said, sin is, is setting you on the destination for hell, but I've come that you may have life. I've come to save. I've come to offer a way out, offer you a way out of sin and into to being made alive in himself. You see, we are dead in our sin, but we are made alive in Christ. Our faith in this point, the idea is that we are, lo- or we are believing without seeing. We're also loving him who we cannot see. It's difficult, right? 
It's difficult to love and to believe in, in someone or something even that you cannot see. But we have scripture here who, has, uh, who, who gives us this, this, you know, this life story of Jesus. And in case there's any question about the truthfulness of scripture, scripture itself is 100% true. We cannot pick and choose pieces of scripture that just fit our lifestyle and what we want to hear. It's all or it's nothing. And every old book that historians throw these different tests, there's seven different tests that they throw at old books to see if they are historical fact. The scripture, the Bible, passes every single one of them. It's fact. It's truth. These are things that have been seen by witnesses, seen by people. They've been written down. They've been recorded throughout history. And we have this right here, right in front of us. And we can experience life by loving Jesus for who he is and loving him with all we have, our heart, soul, mind, strength. Our love and our joy are connected in our faith. This is something I think a lot of us that maybe we, and myself included, that we don't, we don't maybe sometimes put together. That we have love for God and we have a joy that's built up in who, who God is. And they come together and they allow our faith to, to be what it is. That faith in, in Jesus and believing he is who he says he is and that he did what he said that he did is that we, we love him. And then we have joy in that and what he, that he did, or excuse me, than what he did for us on the cross. See, our life begins in a belief in who Jesus is. And it continues in an inexpressible joy. This original passage of scripture uh, in 1 Peter, it said, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Joy that is inexpressible. Our life begins and continues with inexpressible joy. Have you ever felt inexpressible joy? I mean, joy where you, it's, it's, you are so overjoyed that you can't even talk about it, that you are so excited that you have experienced something or you've gone through something, and you are so excited that, man, you can't even, you can't even explain it. For me, uh, growing up, I, I grew up, I played a lot of basketball as a kid. I played from when I was very young, uh, played grade school, middle school, high school, even got to play in college, loved basketball, played hundreds of games, scored points, all that kind of stuff. But there was one, there's one basket that I remember more vividly than any other basket I ever made. It was my very first one. It was in third grade, first year of organized basketball. I know the school that it was at back home. I know where I was at on the floor when I shot it. I know what I was wearing. It wasn't pretty. It was like knee pads, short shorts. It was, it was not good, okay? Like, I remember it vividly. And I remember after I shoot and that ball goes in the hoop and I, and I turn around to run. Now, I have made a lot of baskets before in my driveway and practice and warm-ups. But when I made that shot and I turned to run down the court, and you know, you got to act like you do this, like I do this all the time, right? But this was the first time ever in a game. And I got this smile like this, like one side, like, like you never get this? And like I was smiling as I, and I had it for like three times up and down the floor. I couldn't stop smiling. It was just on the one side, like this, this one side was up like this. And I was trying to like play it cool, like, you know, and like, and it didn't go. Like I, I, and I, but I was so overjoyed at what had just happened. It was an inexpressible joy. I couldn't explain it. I couldn't have put it into words what I was going through and what I was experiencing right then. Man. What kind of inexpressible joy moments have you had in your life? For me, it was that. For me, it was also the summer between sixth and seventh grade when I got baptized. It was when I got married almost nine years ago. It was when we had our daughter, Carly, nine and a half months ago. That Man, just the, the joy of smiling and not being able to stop smiling. Now, when Carly was born, I was smiling like ear to ear, but at the same time, I was crying. It was weird. Like, I didn't know what was going on, all these emotions and things like that. But just so overjoyed of like, I cannot believe this. Like, I would have no way to explain how excited I was. 
What kind of moments in your life have you had where you were filled with inexpressible joy? Is it that moment when you turned your life over to Christ? Is it that moment when you got married or when you had a child? Maybe when you made your first basket or your first goal. Whatever it was. What's those moments that you've had of inexpressible joy? Because let me tell you this. When we have a relationship with Christ, we should be filled with moments of inexpressible joy. When we are convicted or we, uh, of our sin or when we realize or acknowledge the love that God has for us and it should overcome us, overwhelm us with joy. To just be right in your car and simply think all of a sudden like, man, God loves me. And to be smiling where you can't stop. Man, to have a passion, to have a, a connection with God in that way is something that I hope that we all pursue after, that we all can seek after. See, in Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It says that he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Trespasses is another word for sins. So even when we were dead in our sins, he loved us, and he made us alive with Christ. God saw you before you really saw yourself. God understood you and your temptations and your struggles, and he still loved you. We have the opportunity to have an inexpressible joy filled with love for the one, Jesus, the Messiah, who first loved us. Because he saw us when we weren't pursuing after him. He saw us when we were trying to do everything but seek after him and his ways, and he still loved us. So how can we live this inexpressible joy? Number four, we are alive when we delight in our salvation. We are alive when we delight in our salvation. Our joyous, loving belief in Jesus receives that salvation. When we have a life that we come into this world and we are sinners, we are dead, every single one of us, dead in our sins, separated from God for all eternity until we encounter Jesus Christ in a way that he comes together and we are convicted of our sin. We repent of that sin, meaning we turn away from it the other direction and pursue after God. And we accept that free gift of salvation that's available to every one of us. Our salvation from sin is what really makes us alive and it makes us feel alive to the point where we should feel free. We should feel the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the love from God. See, we, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, do a lot of dumb things trying to make ourselves feel alive, don't we? For me, I did some whitewater rafting, did some other things. People do bungee jumping. Anybody do bungee jump? Anybody bungee jump? Has anybody ever bungee jumped? Nobody. Man, it is over in all three services, bungee jumping. Let me tell you, Charleston is not about bungee jumping, I guess, okay? Man, us weirdos in the Midwest, we like bungee jumping, I guess. I don't know. I've never done it. But I have stood at the bottom and be like, I'm going to do that one day. I'm going to do that. And I've never done it. And every time you get there, it's a, it, when you get older, it's a lot harder to take that first step up that ladder, you know, to get up there and to bungee jump or whatever. You know, maybe it's not bungee jumping. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's mountain climbing. Mountain climbing, anybody? No, it's Charleston. Y'all don't even know what a mountain looks like, right? Maybe it's like swamp crawling. I don't know. <laughs> Marsh crawling, right? That's what it is. I don't know. Like, people climb mountains because they want to feel alive. People skydive because they want to feel alive and they want to feel something. People will hurt others and themselves because they want to be made alive. 
See, we look at somebody that mountain climbs maybe, and we say, man, why would somebody do something so dumb? It's to climb the side of a mountain, risk falling off and losing their life just to, for excitement or maybe to fit in with a group of people. When there's a lot of people that may look to you, to us, and say, why does that person ruin their life by partying the way they do on Friday night? Why does that person li- you know, risk losing their life for some substance, for some relationship? You see, there's so many of us that we have these other things that we run to, that we seek after, that we pursue after, and nothing can take the place of Christ. That we are made alive in him only. We're not made alive through an action or a sport or a a, a substance or an activity. We're not made through any of that. We're simply made alive in who Jesus Christ is. Someone, Jesus, died on the cross in our place. A death, a pain, a punishment that was met for each one of us. And he died in our place. That should make us feel alive. That should make us appreciate the life that we have and that we will have for all eternity because he gave up his life for us. We should be overcome with joy, have inexpressible joy. Every time we think about Jesus dying on the cross, man, that should make us smile because he saved us by that action. The truth is that some of us in this room uh, and in this world, we can't delight in our salvation because we don't have salvation we, can't, we still try to do it on our own. We're still trying to accomplish and succeed and think we can live this life that will bring us into heaven because of the things that we do. When it's not about the things that we do, but it's about the thing that Jesus did. It's believing he is who he says he is and did what he said he did. It's not some rules or regulations. It's not some uh, idea of religious duty, some good guy attitude. It's about faith and trust in Christ and having a living hope to rejoice in our, our temptations and our, and our struggles and our trials, to love him because we can't, even though we can't see him, and ultimately delight in that salvation. You see, the crucifixion was one of these things that was a grotesque, just nasty thing that happened. That Jesus went through a pain, a punishment, a beating that was meant for us. That he was tortured and he did all of these things and then they had him carry his own cross, his own death instrument up a, cross, up a hill to where they laid him out and they nailed him to the cross. They stood that cross up and that he lived, as he spent his last moments on that cross and he cried out, it is finished. And he breathed his last breath. He died, he took the sin of the entire world on his own shoulders, took the weight of that sin on himself even though he was perfect. We are incapable of not sinning. Jesus was incapable of sinning. But he took your sin and my sin on himself. He saved us from hell and into heaven. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You, me, God has made us alive. He has forgiven us our our sins. He's canceled our debt completely by nailing it to a cross. Our debt that was paid, our debt that was owed because of the sins that we do, that there has to be some sort of payment for that death, or for, excuse me, for that sin. And Jesus paid that debt for us in our place. 
If you are a Christ follower, you have placed your faith and trust in him, your debt has been paid. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, your debt has not been paid yet. It's been paid for and offered to be paid for, but you have to turn and trust in the one who paid it. See, we are, as we're kind of bringing this full circle back to the beginning, as dead people, we have no hope. When we are dead in our sins, we have no hope. But when we encounter Jesus Christ and we are made alive, we become alive with hope. Now, the idea of being dead to our sin is the idea that, imagine if you had drowned. You were drowned, you were dead. And Jesus dives into the water. He breathes life into you and pulls you up and out to make you alive, to make you free from your death. See, that's what salvation is. We can't save ourselves because we are dead. Dead people can't save themselves. They can't work themselves out of death because you're dead. But you've been made alive in Christ because he went after you. He is pursued after you and is seeking after you. The question is, are you going to turn to him or are you not? Romans 6, 8 and 11 says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, first we are dead in our sin, but now scripture is saying when you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you are now dead to sin, meaning sin can't stop you. Sin sin can't hold you down. You are still going to sin, but that sin is already covered by Jesus on the cross by the blood that was shed for you. And you have been made alive with God. God in Christ. Today, I just want to encourage you with this, is the fact that the the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus died on the cross for you, and that you've been made alive through his actions on the cross. You see, we can experience, as a follower of Christ, we can experience a living hope where we live this this life, however many years we have, and that we we have a hope in eternal life in heaven, that we are connected, we are united with God for all eternity when we leave this place. For that alone, we should be, have inexpressible joy. We should rejoice in the, the trials and the, the, the temptations and the, the struggles and the testing that we go through. We should love him even though we cannot see him. And that's where our faith really begins and takes off.